Hello and welcome to Real Talk with Coach Saima, where I, Coach Saima, have interesting, uh, inspiring conversations with influential people. Today's guest is Shireen Nawaz. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, Shireen. Okay, so I'm uh, an aid worker. I work uh, locally in Manchester and the whole of the Northwest and also abroad. Um, as an aid worker in different countries. Um, my main job is um, dealing with emergency responses. So any urgent attacks might, that might have happened abroad, any emergency um, food supplies, medical supplies that need doing will fly out straight away. Hmm. Uh, and also just dealing with your non-emergency day-to-day problems, people that are suffering all over the world uh, in different countries, mm-hmm. uh, such as border of Syria and Jordan, um, even Africa and Ghana, uh, Iraq, um, Bangladesh, uh, with Bangladesh and the Rohingya. Yeah. So all the, these are just some of the places that we visit. Right. Okay. And so tell me a bit. Um, so I, I believe you, you're going in Ramadan, you're going to, is it Iraq? Iraq, to, yes. Yeah. Yes. Tell me a bit about the situation there right now. Okay. So in Iraq, uh, over the last two to three years, the same situation that people are fully aware of with what's happening in Syria, the mm. exact same thing is happening in Iraq. It's just that there's not much media coverage on Iraq than there is in Syria. Right. So exact same way as ISIS terrorists have taken over um, a lot of parts of Syria. They've done the exact same thing in Iraq. Um, a lot of the places that they've taken in Iraq is places like Beji, um, well, we already know about Baghdad, um, but also Mosul as well. Mosul. Most recently. Right. And so what are the kind of uh, things that are happening in Mosul? What's the situation for the people living there right now? Okay, so just a brief history for people who don't know. Um, over the last two years, when the IS terrorists were taking over village by village, town by town, um, they were making people live in a very oppressive state, um, putting their own rules down, um, completely fighting, using civilians as as uh, not only targets, but as shields as well against the army who were trying to push them out. Um, They were using uh, schools, hospitals uh, as a main hiding point so that those are the ones that can get targeted and destroyed um, during the fighting. A lot of people have died. Um, Mosul has millions of people living in the city alone. Um, Mosul is the city that has the main university, the main hospital. All of that has been destroyed. Um, I mean, Alhamdulillah, we've rebuilt some of the university and Mm -hmm. we've rebuilt the main hospital that was taking all the civilians um, to there. We rebuilt the blood bank um, because it was coming to a point where people were actually, um, hospital staff were going from house to house asking for blood Mm. because people just, they just didn't have enough blood to to look after civilians. So we rebuilt that, Mm. um, raised some money for more. Uh, more of the machinery that they needed because mm. what was happening is when we went to visit Mosul and went to the blood bank there were actually something that should take a minute to do which is cleaning out the blood and making sure it's safe before they do a transfusion mm. they were having to physically pipette and test which was causing them hours and hours of time when they needed to be trying to help civilians survive so we've done all of that uh, we've also rebuilt houses Okay. Now the situation for the people out there at the moment is 
they do not have anywhere to live. They do not have anything to eat. And there are so many orphans walking around the city in and out of rubble. There are so many children sat in cars that have been destroyed, uh, that have been used as, um, as, as bomb detonators, um, you know, car bombings, things like that. Mm. that actually just sat around I've got pictures from there I think there was seven children sat in one car very dangerous there was glass everywhere uh, anything can detonate at any time I remember when I was there quite recently uh, I was walking across a part of rubble and some child ran up to me and said auntie auntie don't go there that could blow up any minute and it just mm. goes to show mm. that the situation is so real there at the moment mm. that there's still live minds there's still danger happening there wow. so easily and so so much so they're living in a state of fear as well as living what? in a state of fear although although is has been have been pushed out there mm -hmm. are still sleeper cells in there now sleeper cells are people who are hiding among civilians that could still be terrorists so right. there's still that um that aspect and also when we were distributing food mm. um to the people there was no shade from the sun and people were queuing up for so long we were absolutely dehydrated and we'd only just started distributing aid for the first three minutes because everything's destroyed there's no buildings there's nothing and i was speaking to this one 80 year old lady and i said to her you know do you have a husband do you have a son she said i have nobody and i said okay i'll help you take your food back home and when we got to her house it was just five stones literally mm. So she's living in rubble. Yeah, living in rubble. Mm. And, it, and it sounds like you're putting your, your own lives at risk, to be honest. Um, but uh, obviously, if you don't do I it... I mean, to be honest, as this is it. As aid workers, we, right. you have to have a certain element of risk. We do try and stay as safe as possible. Um, but there is an element of risk. I remember I was distributed. Um, we could hear bombs going off in the back and the ground was literally shaking. Right. Yeah. It's that bad. It's alarming, yeah. And may Allah reward you for the, the risk that you are taking to help these people. I mean, and, and you mentioned that... Like, uh, I mean, it's something that has to be done. Yeah, no, definitely. And you mentioned that it, um, it's when, when there's coverage in the media, uh, then uh, more people are aware of, of the situation. Um, but is there enough coverage and is it regular? There, def there definitely is not enough coverage. I mean, just on, I mean, forgetting mainstream media, something that we can't control, things that we can control like social media and Facebook, even we're not able to give it as much coverage as we should. Right. It's because I think the main reason for that is because although we like to believe that we're not media controlled in a certain sense we are or can be mm -hmm. because if something is on channel one on the bbc yeah. you automatically think well if it's, if it's on the bbc it must be serious right but if it's shared on social media people share so many things daily mm. it's 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 becoming people are becoming desensitized and this is okay. a problem that we're facing do you become desensitized because you're in it I, every day. I don't personally, and I know a lot of my team members don't. The reason being is because although there's 
say for example in Iraq itself 1.2 million people that have fled Mosul even more these are just internally displaced people now every single person that we meet has a different story every single person that we meet has a different problem that they're facing right so it's very very difficult to get desensitized because when you're listening to these stories on a podcast or you're listening to it on social media mm. it's very difficult to relate but when you are in front of somebody mm-hmm. and they are crying because their mouth is so dry from the lack of food for example and this person is an 85 year old woman mm, with no family um it's very very difficult to get desensitized i mean how can you yeah no of course because it's you're you're in there day in day out and you see uh the actual reality of it like we we listen to it and then we go back to our daily lives but you're actually when you're out there you're actually living it and you're seeing it 24 7 and so it's raw uncensored uh, so i can absolutely understand that and um i mean so so tell me i mean we we do have access to social media how powerful is that social media is very powerful I mean, look at, let's take New Zealand, the really, really sad situation that happened in New Zealand. Let's take that as a perfect example. It was in mainstream media. It was shared on social media. Now it's people's expectancy that is a problem. Now, when you see something in Syria or in Iraq, you expect it. So when you see it on social media, you're like, yeah, well, that's going to happen in there. But when you see it in a place like New Zealand, where you don't expect it, Mm -hmm. you are going to be shocked by it. I mean, how many people are shocked about Syria and Iraq? We should be right. every time it happens, but we're not mm. because we're so used to it and we expect it there. So right. some of the problem isn't just mainstream media. Some of the problem is within us and the way we view things. Right. Um, and that's something I think that we really need to try and change because New Zealand wasn't expected. Mm. Everybody shared it. I mean, I personally didn't share it. I didn't believe it should be shared. Right. I mean, the video itself, I mean, I think it was tragic. It was, mm. it was horrible what happened. I wouldn't want my family members being shown on social media like that. I mean, the fact that it happened, that should be shared. But the fact that, the you know, the way it happened was, oh, yeah, was, was horrible. Yeah. So, yeah, part of the problem is us, to be honest. Right. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, that because it's a Western country, so it had more uh, media attention. Um, yes. And they always do, uh, you know, promote that a lot more. And like you said, like in places like Iraq and Syria, so it's like happening day in, day out, and it hasn't really stopped, and it's continuing. Tell us about that. I mean, like we, we even with Palestine and places like that, we hear about when, when there are airstrikes and that. But then it's not like it's, when we don't hear about it, it's not like it is not happening. Exactly. It happens every day. So let's go back to New Zealand. Imagine New Zealand happening in Palestine, Syria, Iraq, daily every day daily every day imagine that mm. god forbid that was ever to come to our doorstep yeah. it's what we have to remember it got to new zealand it could get to us look at the manchester yes. attacks yes. london attacks yeah it could get to us and we would hope that there'd be somebody on the other side that would help in fact picking up on that i met a syrian refugee and he was explaining to me that he he had an amputated leg so when i asked him what had happened he said, I'm an, I was an aid worker like you. Oh, okay. So when the Syrian attacks happened, it was his job to go and save people. So as he was saving people, he lost his own leg. And he was saving somebody who was blind, who didn't know where the airstrikes were going. 
where they were coming from. He was just running around endlessly. He couldn't see. He was saving that person, pushed him out of the way. A building fell on his leg and he, he lost his leg. And he's an aid worker like I am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every single Tragic. story, every single story I can tell you um, is personal. I mean, I can sit and I can talk to you about the bombings and people can't relate to that. It's mm. only when I go into personal stories yeah. of individual people, which I'll give you an example of, if we have time for that at some point. Um, so you'll be able to actually put a name and a face and a family to these people because right. that's when you can relate to it because then that could be your child, God forbid, that could be your father, that mm. could be you. Only then do you relate to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, we should always think of them as our own. Um, and, and being in the West, especially, or in a country which is, you know, safe from, from war, uh, we have a responsibility to, to look out for our Muslim brothers and sisters or, and, and all whole of humanity, really. We do. What, what are the things that we can do? Because, um, like, I think it's lack of knowledge as to what we can do. So... If you could share with with us or with our listeners um, the things that we can do to help these people. Okay, I will quote um, a internally displaced person from Iraq. This is his quote. He said, "I wish Iraq was called Syria so that people can think about us the same way they do with Syria." I love it, bro. Mm. That in itself says a lot about us. As people I mean it's absolutely great that people focus on Syria so do I so do we as a charity and aid workers yeah but Iraq has been forgotten and it really really is forgotten right. and what we can do is not let them just be background you know yeah. background in our social media background on the news background in our lives because you know if I was to quote and I will quote what one person said to me, is one day we all went as a group of people and we went out with a lot of aid, we were doing things with orphans, etc. But when we went out, um, we decided to give notes from the public. Mm -hmm. So people from here, you know, really nice, cute notes saying, you know, you know, may Allah be with you, you know, our du'as are with you, you know, um, you know, here's a hug and, you know, all these really nice things that you probably want to say to them. Things that you're probably feeling right now, you know, you want to go and say, don't worry, it'll be okay, all of that kind of thing. Yeah. So we went over, we got them all together in the community center after a distribution and we were speaking and we read out these notes and they appreciated it. I said, thank you. But then one lady stood up and she said, you know, you speak about Allah testing us. Right. But what you don't understand is we know our test. Mm -hmm. We wake up every day counting the bodies that are all around Syria and Iraq. We go yeah. to sleep every night counting the bombs. We go to sleep every night with our hijabs on because right. we don't know what state we're going to wake up in the morning. Mm. This person doesn't have a leg. This person doesn't have an arm. This person is trying to look after five um, of his brother's orphans um, You know, with one arm, no food, no income. We know mm. our test. Right. But what we need to give what the advice that we need to give you um people out there who have everything is what you don't realize is daily you don't know your test you wake up with your health you wake up with your wealth mm -hmm. you wake up with your cars 
your youth, your age, you mm. wake up with all of this stuff. Right. And what you don't realize is you're failing your test daily. We say Alhamdulillah, no matter what happens wow. to us, we've got one arm, we say Alhamdulillah. Mm. But what you don't realize is that your test is us and you don't realize how badly people out there are failing. Wow. And That's that a- in itself... That really is a wake-up call. Deep that day, it kind of made me realize that, you know, we're doing it for us. We're not doing it for them. Everything we do is for us. Everything right. is to better us. It's to better our iman. It's to better our, you know, we give sadaqah. It will be a shade for us in the day of judgment. Everything we do, even from a humanity point of view, hmm. we're not going there to benefit them at all. We're going there to benefit us. And that's, that's what exactly. reminded me. That, that's such a good point. I'm glad you touched on that because that's, that's actually a shift in mindset isn't it? It is. Like we're not actually giving charity to them. We're not actually helping them. We're helping ourselves because then we have something to present in front of Allah because Allah is providing for everyone. But he's exactly. testing us. Um, so that, that's really a good point. And um, so how does a charity work? Because obviously, like you mentioned, that, um, that we need to understand how a charity works before we can know what to do ourselves. So tell us a bit about how it works. Yeah, so... You know, people over the last X amount of years have been given charity. It's part of our deen. It's part of humanity. It's part of our zakat. You know, it's part of, you know, it's further for us to do that. People have been giving it, but not really seeing the fruits of where that is going. Right. And um, with Human Relief Foundation, where we slightly differ is everything we do. We use free tools like social media mm. to show people where their donations are going. And I think right. this is really, really important. It's not for us to go on social media and say, hey, look at all the good we're doing. It's nothing like that. Mm. It is, hello, this is to all our donors. For all the money that you gave us, this is where it's going. And it's important to rebuild that trust back in charities. So you have transparency so there. Transparency and trust. So mm. what I would recommend people to do is instead of having certain misconceptions about, you know, charities not actually giving the money where it's supposed to mm-hmm. come with us. We take groups of volunteers on the ground. I've got a group of 20 girls going to Jordan on the border of Syria to aid Syrian refugees and orphans and widows in June. Everything they raise, they are taking with them and distributing themselves in terms of food packs, hygiene packs to widows, we're going to be doing things with orphans mm-hmm. uh, and also they'll be handing out zakat to people hand in hand in their homes and that is really important Mashallah. because we'll be the means of taking them we'll be the means of showing you who the most needy are but the right. money is coming from your hand straight right. into theirs and that is how it should be and that's really really important because that is a there is kind of like um an idea out there that uh, you know charities that not all the money goes to who it should go to etc because of what whatever they think is admin costs or whatever but you know yep. some, uh, that that's another thing that we can touch on is like some charities i mean in order for a charity to actually run and work and uh, stay in business it, it has to i mean the, the charity workers need they have bills too right so what are your thoughts Absolutely. on that I mean, in terms of Islamically, if you think from an Islamic point of view, the charity worker has a right Mm. as well. So the person given the zakat has a right to go and use a certain amount of the money. Yes. For example, if uh, I give somebody a hundred pounds zakat, Islamically, he is allowed to eat from that zakat while he's on the way on his journey. Yes. To 
go and deliver that zakat. Now, with every charity, they have a certain threshold. Now, as a person, as a donor, you should find out from certain charities what that threshold is. Yeah. And if you're happy donating to that charity, because every single charity has a different one. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that every charity does take from that money to go and eat. That was just a, a basic example from an Islamic point of view. Um, but people should find out, stop looking at negative stuff on social media. Yeah. So many charities do so much good. Yeah. And it's, a, it, it's not just, it's not just a, it, it's, a, it's an actual skill to be able to go out there and do the things that you do is a skill. So as an example, in our charity alone, we have people who used to be pilots, people who used to be engineers, people who used to be lawyers, solicitors, teachers, right. who have left their professions to do the good that they do. And it's a choice that they've made. And that's between them and God. Yeah, but the point being, people think that people who work in charities you know, they're just doing it because they can't get another job or they're not educated mm-hmm. um, and they're just basically living off charity money. It's not like that at all. Come mm-hmm. join us, find out, and then after that, make a decision yeah. on whether, whether you want to carry on with them or not. It's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. I think, I think the idea that the, there's an idea out there that, you know, basically the, um, the money spent doesn't always go to the person that needs it more than more than anything else but like you said each charity has a threshold and they should find out what it is and get educated on each charity exactly. that they want I to mean, i mean don't um, get me wrong some some charities do spend more than others like ridiculously more mm-hmm. um it's not for me to say who or what um that's up to them and that's the the life that they want to live that's mm-hmm. that's the rules they want to live by and we've been taught in our charity never to put anybody else down mm-hmm. always just do the best that you want to do and yeah. people will see the good work that comes from it themselves and, and the other point is basically, I think they, they need to understand the situation you were mentioning before, um, that the, the situation that's happening on the ground, so they understand what's going on and how they can help. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't know what's going on, why would you help? Hmm. It's as simple as that. Like, for example, zakat has to be given, so people will give the zakat in Ramadan, but just leaving Ramadan to one side, what about the rest of the years when you're right. giving your zakat? If people don't know, that people are struggling so bad, how are they ever going to pull money out of their pocket? Mm-hmm. And, and money that Allah has blessed them with, and Allah says, spend in my cause. Yeah. Because that can get taken away from us in one second. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, like, uh, I mean, the onus is not just on the charity workers to actually promote through social media that, uh, and to actually create awareness. It's actually our responsibility to find out what is going on and to ask questions. Absolutely, because we can put out there what we can, but the public are the catalyst behind it. Right. Without the public, without the donors, there's nothing, nothing, nothing exists. It's not charity workers that help. It's not us. It's the donors that are actually the catalyst behind us. Right. Without the donors, without the people out there, we're nothing. We have nothing. We have no money. Right, right. And, and there is no charity without volunteers, you're saying? Absolutely, there is no charity without volunteers. Our right. volunteers are the charity. Yes, right. we're staff. Mm. We're staff that used to be former volunteers. Mm. But if we don't have volunteers who are helping us, we're 10 people, we're 20 people, we're 30 people. That's yeah. nothing. You can't do anything with that. Yeah. Give us an idea of, uh, I mean, how much money, like, for example, like feeding a family of uh, five for a month. I mean, how much does it cost? And um, what, what can be done with that kind of money? Give, give me an idea of numbers. And that okay, kind of... so as an example, uh, out of Ramadan, we do deployments where we take volunteers out, like I mentioned before. 
Now, each food pack in or out of Ramadan uh, in Iraq or, uh, or Jordan uh, to aid Syrian refugees will cost £60. Okay. That £60 feeds a family of five for a whole month. Right. Now, these food packs I lift month in, month out. They are very, very heavy. Okay. Now, the Ramadan ones are very Ramadan specific. So we'll have dates in there and different things. So depending on the season, the food inside it will change. But they're very, very heavy. £60 to us is something we spend on an evening out. Mm-hmm. But this could feed a family of five for a whole yeah. month. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, even like they say, a cup uh, for a, a cup of coffee a day, you could feed a family or you could do so much good. Um, you you can, know. and that's just a cup of coffee that we could just make, put in the kettle on, or we could just go grab it from Costa. Yeah. And so, when you put it like that, it just mm-hmm. goes to show yeah. how much money we use daily yeah. that could change lives. Now, I don't like using those two words, changing lives. I don't like using it lightly. But yes. when I say a cup of coffee can change your life because I've seen it, I mean it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, there are various ways that we can help. It's um, firstly, first and foremost, we can make dua, of course. Of course. Uh, which we, we do on a daily basis. Secondly, we, we, we can give money. Um, yep. But also we can use the power of social media. Like um, everyone has seen um, the, the, uh, the fame and success of certain Insta celebrities and the followers that they get. Now, imagine if um, they or even us, if we actually speak about what's going on, if we find out and create awareness of what's going on in these countries, yep. the kind of impact it would have. And, and we should use our social medias. I mean, all of us have got at least you know, like about 200 people on our social media uh, connections. And, exactly. Um, I so mean, the first step is what you're doing, Saima, is recording on a podcast. I mean, let's, let's turn it around and ask yourself, what, what's made you come and put this out there all of a sudden? Have you ever done it before? What, what's made you do this now? I just feel that on the Day of Judgment, I'll have something to present in front of Allah and I can say, well, I did this and I did that, you know, and hopefully he will accept inshallah it's good it's a it's the perfect step yeah it's a perfect step so i mean if i explain let me just put some reality into some of the statistics so we're talking let's let's go to jordan for the syrian refugees Uh, a man that i met a couple of months ago we went into a house close to the border of syria and there was one man his wife and there were six or seven children in the house the house was an absolute state uh when we went in the his wife was actually uh, mentally ill. Mm. Reason for that is because she was hit in the back of her head um, during the war in Syria no. with um, a gun. Um, oh, no. And mm. she, he literally just knocked the gun in the back of her head and made her mentally disabled. She's now um, can't be a mother to her children. Um, her child is nine years old, uh, who's now having to be a mother to the rest of the children mm. because the mother cannot function in any way purely because she was hit in the back of the head during the war now this man has a daughter who has cerebral palsy he doesn't have the right bed for her he Mm. doesn't have the right wheelchair she's not left the house for a whole year she's Mm. not even felt wind or air for a year because they can't take her out she was rolling around on the floor when i met her um which was really bad for her condition having Mm. cerebral palsy um 
Now, when we ask the man, how does he eat daily? Um, he started to tear up. He said, I'm really embarrassed. I said, okay, don't tell us, um, but is it a bad situation? So he said, every day I have to take all my children. I yeah. leave the youngest with the one who's got cerebral palsy. Mm. I walk over to the nearest bin. He goes, I leave my children outside of the bin. He said, I climb in. My children watch me do this daily. And I take oh food God. out of there, which I feed to my children. And I try and find the less moldiest food that I can find. So when I asked, um, what do your children do at this point? He said, they just sit and stare at me. And he said, is this what I teach my children? Is oh this the God. life skills that I'm teaching my children? He said, but I have no choice. He said, my two, uh, one-year-old, I've been given her, I've not given her milk in God knows how long. He goes, all I give is uh, we found some off rice uh, and I mix that, which is, it's so off, it's gone black. And mm. I mix that with water and mm. I give it to uh, my daughter. That's really graphic. It's very graphic information. And I think it's essential actually to put it out there so people and all of us can understand exactly the kind of condition that they're going through. And uh, they only have us basically, and of course Allah first and foremost, um, I mean, that so, is just put in one story. Now you tell me, how can I become immune to these stories? Right. When that's one of them, every single one has their own. Yeah. Every single one is as painful as each other or it can get worse. Yeah. Um, just to flip that on its side about the difference we can make. HRF were there at that time, obviously in the house. It was a time where we took a group of volunteers to a Jordan deployment. That same night, the team went back to the hotel. They were broken. They went onto social media, just showing mm. the power of social media. Mm. They went on, told everybody their story. They fundraised for the family. We came back the next day. The family had no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, we came back. And I remember this father, when I went to check his fridge while they were talking, I opened the fridge and it was so black and empty. It was, there was nothing, absolutely nothing there. Mm. And when we went back, um, we told him that we're going to get him a new house, um, right. a different area. Okay. We covered his rent there. We yeah. also covered his food for a whole year as a team. This is a team of volunteers yeah. that have this capability, not staff. We were mm. just there to be the means of it. This is a group of 20 volunteers that came with us. They changed his life. What mm. they also did was we went and got a wheelchair, a specialist one, for the girl with cerebral palsy. We also got her the right medical mattress. And when we put her in the wheelchair and took her outside, this is all recorded, by the way, in social media. You can find it online. Mm -hmm. um, when she went out and the wind touched her face, she smiled. She mm -hmm. actually smiled. And that made everybody break down because the father yeah. said she's not smiled since we've fled Syria. Right. And we gave him zakat um, hand in hand. And the first thing he did, he said, can you give me two minutes? He ran down the road and he went and bought food. Um, and filled it into his fridge um, that we had bought for him. We bought a brand new fridge for him hmm. and he went and bought baby milk. Now I watched the baby drink this milk and I have never seen somebody's cheeks fill up with oh, no. the red, the blood flow oh. so fast. And I just stared. I didn't even record because it was such a oh. beautiful moment. Certain things you just don't capture on camera. I wish I did, but I was just watching this white pale face just fill up with red and her cheeks were so red and she just looked and she smiled and her eyes were really wide. This is a one-year-old child who's just having the means of milk. 
Now look at this. This isn't a big charity doing this. This is a very small charity, Human Relief Foundation, with 20 volunteers that have taken a week out of their life to raise some funds, put some effort in and change people's lives. Yeah. Wow. What a difference that, that we can make, each and every one of us. By taking a little bit of time out, yes, we can, we can make massive differences mm. to people all around the world. And you know what? Thinking about it, you should come on our next trip. Inshallah. Or make dua for me. I would love to. Inshallah. Inshallah. Make the intention it will happen. Yeah, of course. So, so tell me, you're, you're taking people out in June. Um, yes. So in actually, is that after Ramadan or in Ramadan? After Ramadan, yes. After, after. Ramadan. So okay. Ramadan finishes on the 4th or 5th of June. We'll be flying out on the 17th. We'll be staying in Jordan for about a week. Okay. Not sure. So, so the thing that we do out there is... Yeah, if anybody's interested, please join us. And yep. the things that we do out there so people know is we'll pack food. Mm -hmm. um, pack the food that the people have raised for. Um, so the way it works, basically, you raise the money, we send it over to our Jordan office. They get the stuff ready for when we turn up. When we turn up, we pack the food. We distribute food daily mm. um, to the refugees. Uh, we do hygiene packs for new-born um, babies and mothers uh, mm. who are widows. Right. Uh, we also do an orphan, orphan therapy day. Yeah. Orphan therapy day is very, very important. Uh, we do one big party, one happy time, basically, with the kids, where we don't talk about the war in Syria. We don't talk about how many family members have died. It's just one big party. We yeah. have clowns. We have, we have all sorts of entertainment happening. And I remember one of the children said, I've not had this much fun since I left my home in Syria, right. uh, which was amazing. And this is why we always, always do it. Um, and you'll also visit Zatari camp, which is one of the largest refugee camps in the world right. uh, that was first created when the Palestinian war happened. So you've still got Palestinians in there. You've still got a few Sudanese people, but it's mainly for the Syrian refugees. Right. What's the situation in that, in that camp? Is the situation of for, for the people any better? The camp um, conditions have improved, but not majorly. It's still causing people to not want to live there, the wanting to escape from Zatari, the mm. wanting to just go out and try and survive mm. in Amman or around the local area, which mm. isn't easy in itself, but the, it's more like a prison state. Okay. Think about um, four walls and you're, you're in there with 85,000 people and per 1,000 people, there's one toilet. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. And even then, there's no lighting, nothing. So at nighttime, can you imagine the women or the children leaving and walking mm. a mile down to go to the toilet? Mm. Pitch black darkness is also very dangerous for them as well. It's unsafe. It is unsafe. And so, I mean, what's, what's their future? Like the people in the camp, how, what, what can be done for them? What are the opportunities for them? Is there anything? Can, I mean, at the moment... I mean, at the moment, because in Iraq, it's a bit different. In Iraq, they live in their own country. So we're yeah. able to build. So for, for an example, we are building at the moment a orphan and widow training center. Now, the reason for that is it's been trialed and tested. We've been training people up to a skill and they've then gone and got a job and be able to get some income. Now, that firstly puts dignity back into these people. Yeah. That secondly eradicates the need of certain people who actually go to this training center, eradicate the need of depending on charities because they literally depend on our 
sadaqah and our zakat. Yes. I remember one person saying that I used to give zakat and now I am zakat applicable. And that is... That's so nice, yeah. Yeah, you know, I used to give zakat, but today I am zakat applicable. And may Allah keep you from being zakat applicable. This was her dua to all of us Mm. and the donors out there. Which reminds me, you know, one thing to all the donors out there, if you could see or hear the du'as that people give for a single penny out of your pocket just to hear that du'a again. Mm. They're incredible. So and she, these type of du'as will be our shade on the day of judgment. Just to uh, clarify, so she was getting zakat and now she's able to, she, she's in the position to give zakat? Is that what you were saying? No, no, she's, no, 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 the, the other way yep. around. She okay. said there was a time where I used to give zakat to the ah, people okay. right. and today I am zakat applicable. Today right. zakat is applicable right. on me. Yeah. And that is yeah. powerful mm. because we give zakat, God forbid we, we are zakat applicable tomorrow. Right. Yeah. So in uh, going back to the situation with the people in Jordan, so in Jordan it's very different. At the mm. moment, the Syrian refugees cannot work. It is illegal for them to work. The mm. reason being is because the economy will start collapsing. The Jordanian economy, because they've taken so many refugees, they've taken at least three million. Mm. Because they've taken so many, there's only so much they can do. So if they give them the rights to work, that's going to affect their own people. Mm. Um, so at the moment they can't work so all we're trying to do at the moment and all people can do at the moment is just make their day-to-day life comfortable until something changes where we can put them into work right so it's kind of like a question mark as to their kind of future really that's it i mean they can't go back into syria Mm. um just recently some more people from syria tried to flee into jordan Mm. so they can't go back there this this is still dangerous They've got nowhere to go back to, firstly. So they're just literally sat in a tent. Um, and the weather, the weather itself causes big problems. I remember one lady saying that the wind hit her tent so much in the middle of the night, the tent flew away. It was pitch black. It was her and her children with a very thin blanket. And her children got ill that night. And her children were saying, Mommy, why is it so cold? Mommy, why is that, where's our house gone? And their house was just a small tent that got blown away Mm. in the wind. So the weather is a big problem. Then you've got the heat. Then it's too hot because they don't have, it's it's just a tent. So there's problem after problem after problem. Yeah. Things that we can avoid really easily. If it's too hot, we'll pop the AC on. If Mm. it's too cold, we'll pop the heating on. They can't do even the simplest things like that. And it's not their fault. No. None of this is their fault. Yeah. So we just need to get together and try and encourage each other to do right. something, take a little bit of time out of our busy lives yeah. and just do something for them to make their future easier. And when I mean it doesn't just affect them for one day, for two days, it affects their whole day-to-day living. And by us taking a bit of time out as people, right. we can do that. It's very easy quote in the hadith of the prophet peace upon him when he says when part of the ummah hurts the rest of us should hurt yes we, it's very easy quoting that but when you want to put that into action don't think about it the shaitan's gonna start the wasa wasa in the ears and give you 101 reasons why you can't do it you can't get the time off work you mm. can't do this you can't do that yeah. you can you can right. do it everybody can do it everybody has the capability of doing it all you have to do is contact me and we'll make it happen Inshallah. So on that note, um, how do people reach you? 
How can they reach okay, you? Okay, so um, we're based in Manchester, right. personally, um, but we do have offices all over the UK. Okay. Um, so if you're from the London area, contact Human Relief Foundation London. Uh, if you just pop that into Google, it will come up. Yeah. If you're from Birmingham, the same thing, HRF Birmingham. If yeah. you're from the Northwest, Human Relief Foundation Manchester, depending on which area you're in. Yeah. Alternatively, um, find me on social media, add me on Facebook or Instagram. Shireen yeah. um, Nawaz, just add me. Talk okay. to me, tell me, don't be worried. If you want to do something, yeah. I will find a way to make it happen. I've got people who message me saying, my father passed away, where can I build a masjid? I'll tell you where to build a masjid. Somebody said, my so-and-so passed away. How do I, how do, I do Sadhguru Jariya? Build him a well. Right. Take an orphan. There's so okay. many things I can make happen. You just yeah. need to reach out. Just have Inshallah. to reach out. Well, thank you very much, Shireen, for taking You're the time out. Um, and so um, for everyone who's listening, I'll even put the links um, in the description below when I upload this. And so, um, again, thank you, Shireen. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, this is Coach Saima signing out. Until next time.